In this episode, we talk to Kirsten from Hatch. Hatch gives New Zealand access to the US share market. She has over a decade of experience running product teams across North America, and she has played an important role in the startup ecosystem in New Zealand over the past few years. She was the innovation director at Hatch Parents Company, Hugh Well, and have a big passion for the startup industry. If you thought investment was boring, you have to listen to this episode. Do you want to start with doing a little bit of an introduction of yourself? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, so I'm Kristen, uh, Kristen Lundman. I am a Canadian. I've been in New Zealand for 10 years with my family. Sorry. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's been almost 10 years. Uh, my family and I um, moved here. However, my parents um, are originally from New Zealand, so I go a few generations back uh, to New Zealand with some of my family arriving in the 1850s. So I've just come full circle back here. We originally wow. came... Yeah, we originally came uh, on our honeymoon uh, and traveled the South Island. And then when my daughter was five weeks old, we rented a van and traveled the North Island and lived in a van for four months, which I wouldn't recommend, but <laughs> we did have a good time. <laughs> but when we, left, <laughs> when we left that trip, I said, um, we just knew we'd be back. And Wellington yeah. for us felt home at that time. And I just remember um a, a final sons at New Zealand and thinking this isn't the end of our New Zealand story so I came back with my family uh, my kids were two and three at the time 10 years ago I th- at that time digital was just becoming a thing so I'd gotten my fingers into digital I was a yeah. marketing background growing businesses and I and I was really intrigued with this concept of the ability to scale a business thanks to tech mm. um, so I yeah I, I very quickly got into the digital space uh here in New Zealand and then um, when I wanted a new challenge, this concept of startup, same thing, that this rise of the startup and funding and VCs was happening. And it just had this energy that I was attracted to. So I've spent the last um, quite a few years in that space. So that's uh, right now my latest role is uh, co-founder and GM general manager of Hatch, which is an investing platform backed by Kiwi Wealth. So that is a little bit about me. <laughs> oh, that's great. So um, what would you say are some of the key factors to Hatch success in the last 18 months? Because it's just been around for 18 months, right? Yeah, that's right. We've been yeah live 18 months and actually yeah. it's just started to really ramp up, which is really exciting. I think... In terms of um, the founders, there were four of us at the beginning, and we just had this real vision of, um, you know, that, that we had this vision that Kiwis weren't as wealthy as they deserve to be. A number mm. of us had traveled around the world, were from overseas. Um, some of us, um, we traveled and we just saw in New Zealand that, um, you know, we're, we're geographically um, remote, which is a good thing. Um, for our little economy, but it's also a bad thing in terms of us accessing things. That's anything from, it sounds so silly, but anything from like Ikea or yeah. cheap. Um, I hear you. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Ikea or cheap um, cheap appliances or technology or access to some of these fantastic SaaS technology companies and, and the likes of neobanks and um, these amazing, um, uh, you know, technology-fueled um, 
companies that we see over overseas and don't have access to them. So I think there's a sense that there's the exact same thing in the financial services sector is that um, we, you know, we weren't as wealthy as we deserve to be because of the bureaucracy and banks and, you know, paper and not having full control of our financial situations mm. and um, access to it and access to really exciting investing opportunities, which I think, you know, there's a huge reliance on property, which we can talk, chat to later. But there, so we came in with that really strong vision is there's something broken here. We spoke to hundreds of Kiwis um, and found all sorts of problems related to that, but really in the end just decided to focus on the one which was related to investing. Uh, but I think it started with a vision um, with mm-hmm. Hatch and that we all felt there was this um, sense of injustice around if status quo is not good enough, it's not okay to just sit back and accept um, the situation that we're in. And I think that's that's probably the key any um, people starting something, that's where it begins. And then I think our approach um, helped. And lastly, our team, just speaking to the approach, I think we took things um, quite slowly. It was probably six months before we actually had a minimum viable product, you know, the very beginnings of something in market. Yeah. And because we really wanted to validate the problem, like what is, we can't solve all problems because there are lots in the space, um, mm. but we really wanted to validate a particular problem for a very niche set of customers first and then we would expand. So I think it was really working with them very closely um, that our early set of um, early adopter customers that we'd identified um, about investing in world-class opportunities. And then we thought, well, we'll just start with them. We'll build something for them. Um, so our approach was really important in this, that those success. So it wasn't like the surprise when we launched that we had, um, you know, this, this month on month growth and, and people really excited about what we were doing because we worked with these people to solve their problems. And then I think the last thing is the team, you know, I've been uh, very uh, deliberate always in my life to surround myself by exceptional people. Um, yeah. In personal life and work life, I think that's so important um, to stretch yourself, but also to to really, um, yeah, I just think get the most out of this very short life, isn't it? Is to surround yourself by a killer a killer um, team, and that's that's what I've been able to do. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think that team. They say that you you should really focus on hiring those first people to your business. Do you agree on that? Like yes, in terms of rather yes. the skill with personality and get the fit, you know. Absolutely. And, and to be fair, actually even start with senior people. I think um, yeah. you've got so little time and it's so critical to get those key roles, as you said, that it's, it's probably more likely to be quite a senior level. Those early roles are probably quite senior level. And then as yeah. you, as you scale, like we're only now just starting to hire uh, more junior roles. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. so important. What would you say are some of the biggest misconception on what you had to do or like who you have to be um, to start a business? I think just generally speaking is that um, particular thinking about when is that you have to take these huge risks, like put your mortgage on the line um, or give up, you know, this, this cushy career, all this stuff. I don't think mm. you have to. I know that I always had side hustles on the side, even when uh, living in Canada over 10 years ago. Um, and I think that's kind of how businesses start. Like it's okay to have, you know, your day, day job or your fallback and you don't have to go all in right away. You can actually do, again, back to the approach that we took you can start small and find 
you know, a group yeah. of early adopters or you're passionate people you're solving a problem for. And you don't have to quit your day job right away. You can actually build side hustles on the side. And when you get that kind of that fit, that product market fit, then you can go all in. And even then, it still doesn't mean you have to take this massive risk and lose your house. Like I think there's, um, there's probably some misconceptions about um, people starting their own business and that it's so risky, therefore, you know, not even going to go there. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one thing. Um, and then I think, um, yeah, I think it's quite, you know, being your own boss. I, I remember I was working out the other day with my, with a group of my personal trainer and I said, oh, my boss is calling. And he said, I thought you were the boss. And I said to him, <laughs> Alex, everyone has a boss. <laughs> and so for us, it's our backers, our investors, which is Kiwi Wealth and the Kiwi Group family. And so yeah. um, there are investors much like any, any angel investors or VC backers. And so um, while you kind of are your own boss, you're kind of not. I think yeah. you've got your team team you're accountable for, your investors you're accountable for, your customers you're accountable for. Um, so yeah, that's that's um, that's a, a bit of a misconception, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's only 2% who get funding from um, startups, funds and VCs that are uh, women. Why do you think that is? And how can we change um, it? I think that I think probably the first obvious one is that women don't start as many, like there are actually fewer female um, founders. They tend to take secondary um, positions. I know my first startup, same thing. I came on as number four, so I wasn't even considered a founder, um, mm. even though I had a huge impact on that business. Um, so, so firstly, including with going out and getting, um, you know, supporting fundraising. So I think um, probably the um, fear of not taking that that founding role or being the person to start it. Um, that's probably one um, one key factor in that in that percentage. Um, but when we think about women themselves not getting funding, I was reading a study. It was probably some time ago, but there were two things that stood out to me. Um, and the first is that women are actually asked different questions when from VCs. And that's something they found um, studies over and over again. They found that women were asked far more questions about due diligence and how they were going to de-risk the business where their male counterparts were not asked that. So oh, really? clearly, the v yeah, the VCs had um, felt that the women-led businesses were far riskier when in fact we see that um, women-led businesses through the GFC or through other um, crises actually tend to fare a lot better with women in leadership positions. There have been studies to back that up as well. So I think there was that sense of, um, you know, women-led business, uh, businesses were riskier and that was evident in the questions they were asked. And then finally, um, I think the other thing was that the tech Women that, um, because we know, you know, boys in the 80s were brought up with computers in their rooms, um, yeah. whereas g girls weren't. And so they had this real sense of comfort with technology and girls all of a sudden felt, um, and I grew up in those times. So very, in my home, same thing, wasn't for me, it was for my brothers mm. um, to tinker with and ended up in their rooms. And so I think, um, you know, what we've seen is a pattern of women founders who aren't the CTO and who don't have the technical backing. And same thing in those interviews and backing. Um, process, they found that, um, you know, women without technology background um, were held, um, you know, were given a harder time, even though other fail male founders don't have that tech background. Um, so again, there was just some gender bias in there. Yeah. 
So how to fix it? Um, look, I think it is. I think we see some fantastic um, female-led VCs now. There's all sorts of organizations to help facilitate funding with women from mm. CEO to, you know, fantastic VC, um, women-led VC businesses in um, in Silicon Valley. So I, I do think it is changing. Um, is there any in New Zealand? Know, there, well, CEO is in New Zealand, and so that is a worldwide organization that does go ahead and raise money. And I think it is they call upon women who join that organization to put money in to back um, women-led organizations. So we are seeing um, a little bit of that in New Zealand, but I think even just noise, you know, media and um, people who are empowered with that knowledge can actually um, call it. And, I, and yeah. I think even just by calling it and making people aware of these underlying biases, they're going to help solve the problem. Yeah, exactly. Mm, and yeah. what advice would you give to someone who maybe wants to start something but feel like they have a lot of barriers in the in their way? I think um, I think barriers for women uh, probably would be if I were just to guess, it would be time. I know that women are pretty busy being care like caregivers to like children, potentially parents. Um, quite often, falls to them. Um, mm. Secondly, probably some financial financial fear and risk in there. So I'd I'd just say start small. Um, you probably don't need to solve the world's problems right away. If you were just to start small with a small group of early adopters, and again take that lean approach, like just solve a problem first a group of people are they a smaller group of people are they willing and if you do it as a side hustle just start there again you don't have to jump quit your day job and jump in with two feet but um i was looking at these that i don't know if you've seen any of the latest kind of chorus covid19 um commercials because i imagine chorus is very busy at the moment with that oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but but they, they champion some i'm um, well a lot of these you know banks and and um telecom companies champion small businesses, but there's a, a lady on there that's making these beautiful jellies and, and they're edible. And she yeah. just started playing with, she made this 3D mold and then just started making these beautiful jellies. And she was like, now it's my full-time job. So these things can happen by accident, but they can also happen deliberately. You can just say, this is my vision for this big business. That wouldn't have been hers. It happened you know, by accident. Yeah, again. Exactly. But um, yeah. I think you can just take those small steps every day. And if you just set out a bit of a plan, not off some of those key milestones mm. it's possible yeah yeah um, so we touched on this a little bit um before you mentioned it around you know kiwis have a history of investing in housing rather than stock um, mm. and equity so how would you say that hatch could help change that and what trends are you seeing in new zealand investment at the moment so I think it's not a surprise coming from Canada to New Zealand. Um, we didn't have that that big speculative stock market um, hit that they did in the late 80s here. And so I think what's happened is an entire generation was um, dissuaded from entering the stock market because they saw their, um, they were either taught or they, they actually saw their parents, their uncles or someone they knew um, lose everything thanks to the stock market. And that was due to a lot of um, speculation and, and people borrowing money to invest and these are you know um, retail investors otherwise known as kind of mom and pop investors yeah. and so I think there was this great fear and that's when our love of property came about combined with kind of no capital gains tax this is something that's so unique us coming from Canada here to this tiny economy and there aren't capital gains is pretty surprising um, and it's no wonder that it's fostered this kind of love of, yeah um, 
property, <laughs> which yeah. isn't great for the economy. I'm sorry to say it doesn't oh, create so any much, jobs. So much it tax ties up wealth. Yeah. yeah, like that's anyway, another, another podcast. But <laughs> I think um, there's all these factors that have led us to today. So we just thought, look, investing is boring. Um, it's been boring historically. It's boring because it's generally um, men that talk about it. It's generally Wall Street has this real bro kind of risk Macho, attitude, yeah. wild west. Men, Absolutely. Men's club. So, <laughs> yep. So women often, um, and beginner investors often just think it's not for me, it's too risky. So they tend to have their money sucked into savings um, savings accounts um, and, and not doing anything, particularly with these low interest rates. So the way we solved it was we just thought, look, we're, we're going to give access firstly, because that's the first thing is we need to have access to, the, to um, investing that's exciting um, and that makes sense to people. But the second was this idea of you can actually back what you believe in and you know a lot more about investing than you think you do. So you don't need to get into bonds and, um, you know, over the counter trading and you don't need to become a day trader, but start to take a look around at things that you love and things you surround yourself with every day. That's like, like take a look at Netflix. How often do you watch TV nowadays compared to Netflix? What about your, how many times do you check your Apple iPhone or, um, you know, we're chatting on zoom or Facebook. And these are companies that you surround yourself with. So if you're able to invest in them, investing all of a sudden hits home and it makes sense because you're now backing, you're now able to invest in um, things that you believe in, things that you use every day that you see other people use. And it doesn't mean that you need to go all in on um, Zoom or Facebook. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what it does do is it takes investing to your level. So you're saying, you know, I, I believe in um, some of these technology companies to grow over time. Therefore, if I put my money into them, my money is going to grow over time. That, that really is what investing is doing is you're looking mm. for quality businesses that are changing our world, um, that are the leaders of the tomorrow that are going to become much more valuable. Um, Amazon's a perfect example. That was, you know, I don't know, let's say $100 was the share price, um, I don't know, eight years ago. Ago. I don't have it up in front of me. Sorry, but I, if I'm wrong, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's a $2,500 share at the moment. And yeah. so this is a company that's grown in value and people who had invested at that time will have done well. So I think it's, it's somehow making it relatable to our lives, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, but also mm. investing can be the same. You're investing in things you back. So if you don't want to back a particular company, um, you know, what about the top 500 companies in um, the States? You'd probably recognize 200 of those. Um, that's an easy way to diversify in a fund that, that invests in the top 500 um, companies. Or what about a, a fund that backs technology? If that's what you're into. Or clean green or diversity, um, clean green and energy or diversity. These are things that actually you can invest in. And I think that's probably was our approach was we were like, yeah. ah, let's just turn investing on its head and just make it simple. Like every day, like you can back these huge trends and then a future because that's effectively what investing is. is you're growing your money based on, um, you know, tomorrow and, and what tomorrow is going to look like. Yeah. And how long should you, you know, think about your investment? So if you invest today and say, mm. you know, Zoom, which you probably should have invested in yesterday. But <laughs> yes. yes. When's, yeah. the, when's the right time to invest is yesterday. Exactly. But it, it, yeah, to be fair, it's a pretty scary time right now. COVID-19, the markets um, have yeah. done um, some pretty crazy things. We saw um, drops of almost... Oh, gosh, 35% last month. And some of those have climbed back. But I would I would say that the best time to invest is yesterday. And it's likely that you are through your KiwiSaver. If you mm. had started work um, 
you know, five years, I don't know, let's say a decade ago or five years ago, you would have had all those gains um, from the 2008 global financial crisis. The share markets have just grown and grown and grown and grown up until um, their peak, which I believe was probably February of this year before, of course, COVID um, came and shook some things up. But um, all of that, those, the growth, that growth far outstripped your money being anywhere else. And so I think, um, you know, that, that was an incredible time for investors to get in. And now the markets have kind of come back down. Um, mm. So I think, again, what we see is these massive corrections every seven to 10 years. Now, we don't know how long this one's going to last and we don't know what it's going to look like coming out. Sorry, ha, you know, how long are the bumps? And I we yeah. can't say what's going to happen. And tomorrow, are we still in the bottom, you know? Exactly. But what yeah. we do know is that um, resilient businesses will eventually recover and therefore the markets will eventually recover. It's just how it works. If you go back to the start of um, share market history, that's just how it works. Valuable businesses create valuable things that people buy and continue to grow. And funds are really just a basket of those companies. Mm. And so I think um, that's why it's so important to think, look, you're not investing for tomorrow or for next month or next year. In the share markets, you're probably investing for over a five-year period, but that's probably most of us, you know, for, for chunks of money keep your emergency fund and all those things that you want in the next five years outside of the share markets but most certainly um any any kind of long-term goals should um that should certainly be a consideration to get them in the share markets and so yeah. when i say yesterday it's you can just start small you probably have investments in your kiwi saver keep at that keep your contributions up think of it as quality quality um shares um you're just buying more of them now um than you were two months ago um, you know, with the same amount of money. So it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. This is obvious isn't, you know, most seen as advice. It's kind of general. Everyone's got their own scenario, but that's kind of some general tips um, how to yeah. think about it. Yeah. How much of your income, like percent, what percentage would you say recommend in yeah, putting don't, into? Don't start, don't start too big. I know in Canada it was 10%. When you were out of university, 10% just right away. And you didn't even think about it. And I mean, anyone you talk to, any job that you start, you just found that 10% to put into investing and you didn't touch it again. And so while I don't like to put a um, percentage, it's and it's not a good idea to kind of start too big because what you don't want to have to happen is um, need that money back because yeah. the share markets are down next month. You know, you don't want to have to pull that money out. So start small, start with maybe, um, I don't know, anywhere between one and 5%. I think KiwiSaver contributions are what, three to 8% now? Yeah. Um, or yeah. could even be 10. You might even be able to do 10 with KiwiSaver. Um, I think, yeah, anyway, I, I think no. you can do as much as you want, basically. Yeah. yeah. So really just start, just pay yourself first when you get paid. And if you can start with, with even 5% mm. um, and take a look at your KiwiSaver contribution. And, and if that's getting up to 10% um, and you're still able to live, I think, um, you know, that's a pretty good rule of thumb to start with. So the New Zealand is currently at a 10 year low against the, the US dollar. Would it make sense to wait for the New Zealand dollar to return a little more before you start investing? Or what's yeah, your think, view on that? Yeah, it's pretty. It's important that people um, understand what, what Hatch is currently. And we're looking at other products, including some New Zealand products. But currently, we offer access to the U.S. share markets. In order to do that, we need to change your New Zealand dollars into U.S. dollars. And you're right. I think it's probably sitting at about 60, 61 cents at the moment. Um, so it is low. Um, but but there's. Uh, I think if we look 
back um, through history, both for share markets and currency. These things um, go through cycles, and I think kind of there's there's no guarantee that you know past performance you know is an indication of future. So we don't know if it's going to go up. We don't know if it's going to go down. We just don't know. Um, mm. So what what kind of we say is we just say, look, you've got your house, your job, probably most of your investments here, including your Kiwi Saver. Um, diversification is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to actually have some money in USD and in the US share markets. We recognize that our investors um, hatch as just one small slice of their wider investment portfolios including in property and other stuff. And so I think um, one way to look at it is diversification, but also that dollar cost averaging thing. You know, as you invest more, um, as you invest in the overseas, if if, um, if the um, US dollar is, is cheap or the US dollar is expensive, it kind of all balances out um, over time. Um, mm. So that's another way of way of looking at it. But naturally, it's up to up to some people will just sit and wait. Um, but the problem with sitting and waiting, generally with investing, is you just don't get around to it because it's never the yeah. right time. The markets yeah. are markets are never the right price. Dollars never, you know, it's just nothing's ever right, and you'll always come up with reasons why not to do it. So just be conscious of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, follow the suggestion that you shouldn't. You know, people say that you should never catch a knife when it's falling you know it's kind of the same in the stock market but yeah i, I guess mean, you never know you can never yeah. time it you can exactly. never time it no humans aren't great with timing it so i think look i i i just would say if you've got a um, little bit of spare cash absolutely some people are sitting on cash and waiting to time it and that's fine and if you feel comfortable doing that um go for it C- certainly keep up your your kiwi saver um but in terms of timing it perfectly if that's just too much stress and energy just start small um, and, and invest regularly over the next 10 years. And then this will just be a blip. Like these next two years will, you know, however we recover, um, yeah. will just be a blip on that 10-year horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any um, other tips you would give to someone who wants to start investing? except starting small yeah, and starting now. Just, yeah, yeah, probably two quick things. Just take note of trends around you. I think back to that concept of like, you can invest in what you believe in and it and it should click and make sense. It's like, ah, oh, I know these, these you know, huge companies in the States or I know these technology companies or I believe in um, medicinal cannabis or diversity and, and I can actually back these things. So start to take note of kind of what you care about, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, the future that you want to see trends that you see um, and relate that to investing. Um, I think watching the news, you know, start to pick up on tips. So just be aware and just recognize that investing is for you um, and just start to kind of listen um, to some of those things. And the second thing is um, we've got 10 days of tips in a getting mm. started course. Um, Hatch wrote that and it's been really oh, successful. Great. We've had um, thousands of people uh, sign up during kind of the lockdown. Um, you know, a lot of people doing kind of get, um, self-improvement stuff. And so yeah. we have noticed a big spike. And so if you just Google Hatch Getting Started course, it's a 10-day course. It's totally free. You get emailed a tiny little five, 10-minute thing every day. And it basically takes you through what risk is, um, you know, what what uh, an exchange-traded fund um, is all the way through to um, buying your first shares if you wanted to. So I'd, I'd recommend doing that. Oh, that's that. awesome. That's amazing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So um, running a startup yourself, I assume you keep an eye on what's out there, you know, at the moment. Um, what would you, what startups do you think we should have a look out for in, in New Zealand? 
or maybe like globally? Yeah, look, there's there's lots of fantastic startups at the moment, um, but I'm really intrigued with what's going to come out the other side of this um, crisis. I think we're, we're probably going to see some monumental shifts in how we behave um, in things that we care about, where we spend our time and money. And I think we may see some pretty interesting startups come up out of this. Um, you know, I think it's a pretty challenging time for a lot of small businesses, but I don't doubt um, the kind of the intelligence and creativity that Kiwis have and kind of coming out of this stronger. And so I think, um, I think let's just watch for what comes out of this crisis. I think we're going to see some moves to um, a lot more mental, you know, well-being and mental health um, mm. and, and really tracking that. That's pretty important. I think things like supporting local, um, you know, community, um, travel local, all of these behaviors um, and trends, I think it's pretty interesting. And I don't doubt that the tech community is going to cut up, come up with some pretty interesting ways. We're already seeing a local, I think a guy down in Dunedin that started, what, what's the line or something? And you go on and you can oh, see really? the lineup. It's crowdsourced. <laughs> it's crowdsourced. How long is the line? That's what it is. How long is the line? <laughs> so it's kind of crowdsourced information. Of, um, but I mean, these are just some examples, I think, um, of um, that startups that will kind of see come out of this and, and just a shift of um, there, no longer growth at all costs and raising tons of money and blowing tons of money on growth. I think WeWork was the final, I don't know if you knew that saga um, of WeWork IPO last year um, and, and it absolutely blew up in their face. Yeah. Um, but this whole like startups, growth at all costs, it's again this real macho attitude of um, – um, you know, self-importance and I'm worth so much more than I actually am and, and so on and so forth. I think, um, I think we'll see kind of back down to earth level type stuff and caring for, caring for humans. But um, how would you, yeah. um, so if you have, do you think that will change the, the mindset of, um, you know, VCs and investors in terms of, because that the only thing they want to see is obviously growth. So if the, the market. Yeah, I, I wonder, I think, I, I wonder, because they're humans as well. And absolutely. But if, if customers, I think it really is, um, you're right, growing businesses and return on investment is what they care about. However, I also know there's a lot of angel investors and VCs that also are looking for social good um, mm. and, and, want to, and want to see other benefits, societal benefits. Um, and you can see that with the rise of kind of the B Corp um, in, you know, in the States and, and even some here in New Zealand. So I think there is this sense of being socially responsible um, you know, to your community and governments, to the environment is just as important. We see the trends in investing as well. And so um, the, uh, the concept of more sustainable business that's for the good of you know founders and their customers would um you know i suppose the natural outcome is that they're going to outlast um, those that aren't yeah. um in effect and so i think there's a bit of a shift there so yeah watch the space yeah and i guess exactly exactly if you if you look on the you know the consumers of the actual product if that's what they request that's what you know the business have to to also that's right yeah show. so yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's mm. interesting. Um, what would you say or how would you describe equality? What does it mean to you? 
Equality is, um, gosh, equal. Great question. <laughs> the, I think a measuring a measuring stick that I'd probably use for equality. Um, the most obvious one is um, female representative on NZX listed um, boards. I think that's probably a really good measuring stick. So I know the last time uh, there was public information on this, 27 of the 50 NZX listed companies had all male boards, and mm. so that that's not equal. Because um, there are certainly some incredible women in New Zealand, I have no doubt that could be sitting in those some of those positions. So um, I think that's probably the easiest measuring stick. And then how I would like to think about it in the future is that my daughter has the same opportunities um, that that are afforded to my son. I have no doubt they will. I really do think that generation they're incredibly impressive. My daughter's thirteen, and her and her friends, um, you know, very impressive future leaders. I, I have no doubt that they are going to. Um, we're kind of that last generation of women that are kicking you know kicking um and screaming into um equality i think um, for that next generation so thank you all (laughs) thank you all (laughs) that are doing it yeah Yeah, i think i hope well i hope we're gonna see a big show and change and a big shift in terms of you know seeing so many female leaders now in terms of um like jacinda for example um, yes. you know, leading yeah. countries. Um, so hopefully yeah. that will influence a whole new generation in um, no taking doubt. on those roles yeah. too. Mm. Um, and yeah. what, what does leadership mean to you? Well, I think you just said it, and that's Jacinda Arden. I think in, oh, yeah. in a crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, she's perfect, um, Arden, sorry. She, um, I think probably uh, crisis is the, the perfect test of leadership, isn't it? And so if I just liken her to any successful business, she's got a vision, you know, of, of, of what, you know, how New Zealand, um, what New Zealand should look like. Um, obviously, huge amounts of empathy and care for her customers, which are us, um, her constituents. Um, she's got a plan. Um, she surrounded herself with an exceptional team and smart people. And I think that constant communication, she's brought us along the journey. So right from day one. Um, and I think, look, not everyone's perfect. And I know it's um, it's controversial. A lot of people are hurting in New Zealand. But mm. look, compare the state that we're in um, to those around the world. Um, and we've just, we've absolutely benefited from leadership. And she's been a, the ultimate example. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, uh, for me, like having a communication degree, um, it's been quite fascinating just seeing the way that she communicates and how, how skilled she is in that area. And yeah, yeah, yeah it's quite... So good, so young and so good. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's amazing. quite amazing. And yeah. like, and all the things that she's been going through, you know, during this period and that period too, like it's not any <laughs> small challenges that she's no. been having. Oh, three, yeah, no, three, she's got this, Yeah, she's got this. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, Amazing. I mean, she must be having an amazing team behind her as well, but it's just, yeah, yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And how do you think we can enable more women to becoming, well, get into leadership positions and start their own businesses? Yeah, look, I've done quite a few corporate jobs as well. And I think uh, flexible, um, flexible work environments and and potentially, again, this crisis is going to be quite beneficial, like recognizing that technology allows us um, to be at home. Granted, it's hard with kids at home, but I know that... um, 
uh, flexible working environments and having that ability so that we can work um, at different times of hours um, and still produce great quality work is really important. And, and so maybe, again, this crisis has kind of kicked that into gear and showing that we can actually be highly productive um, from home, probably more productive when the kids go back. But I think that's key. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we, um, like we as consumers, can support women-led businesses. You know, I look forward to ordering this lady's jellies. I think I can't wait. They look beautiful. <laughs> and I can't, I'm so sorry. I can't remember her name, but my daughter said, I, I follow think, her. Yeah, them. I think I actually seen them. So I know which one you mean. But yeah. yeah, but you can support women-led businesses. We use a fantastic um, recruiting firm um, called Kin, which is, um, you know, female-led. Um, any HR services external we need is um, humankind. Again, female-led, fantastic. Springload is amazing um, technology, digital um, services company I, I you know you i can think of a bunch and if i and um, that's another way that you can support um women is but is by in leadership is by supporting their businesses yeah. and we i'm sure everyone can think of uh, think of them and that maybe that'll be that again that concept of kind of think local um that we can really put some action action to work with where we spend our money yeah, you hope that will be like one of the positive outcomes from this crisis that we're going through now is that people actually start looking more locally and see, you know, what's yeah. out there and what can we support. Totally. Um, what is success for you? How would you define it? Uh, right now in my life, it's relationship with my family. So with my kids and husband, that's super, super important. I've always been um, secondly about exploring and adventuring. So as long as I've got some time and enough money to do that, um, working with a great bunch of people, laughing, having a, you know, having fun and a growing business, that that's important too. Um, so I think that's kind of having all those things is, um, is success and I don't always get it right. Um, but but getting that, um, you know, get yeah. getting that somewhat of a balance, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, have you find that that have changed as you get older, or? <sighs> that's a good question. Yeah, it's funny when you um, pre kids, it's all about kind of career and ticking off that. Um, you know, going from this stage to this stage, and it was just just so all-consuming. And I think that would have been success at that time, is getting mm. the right title or the right pay. Um, and that, just none of that's important anymore. But I also respect that that's what I was focused on at that time in life. And then you have kids, and you're so exhausted, you can't do anything but just survive. <laughs> that's what success looked like in those first five years. I was like, I have no idea how women do it when they have little babies. Okay, <laughs> success was like I don't know, brushing my hair. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then getting back to work, it was like, again, building up, um, success was building up my confidence again, because that's really hard to start back in the work, um, workforce after you have kids. Yeah, um, I can imagine. It takes a huge hit. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and um, so that was success to me at that point. So yeah, probably now is, is not having kids that hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of know what's going on in their lives. You know, I still like my husband. We still like each other. That's cool. <laughs> These are all like big wins, people, you know, <laughs> putting my makeup on today. Like I'm shooting a few videos later for Hatch and it's like, that's success, you know, <laughs> it's a little wins in life. <laughs> Just getting out of bed, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any quotes that you live by? Uh, my mom has kind of said like saying yes to the unknown is adventure. So I think that's one thing I remember when I told her I was joining my first startup and I said, Oh, now's not the right time. We're thinking of renovating our house. And she was like, if you don't do this, you're never now 
you are never going to do it. And I did. I quit my job the next week and did it. Um, and I think it was just all the, I thought of all these reasons why not to do it. Yeah. Um, and they all made sense. I mean, having a nice house, like that's all really great. But she was exactly. just like, put me right in my place. She was like, you take this adventure, which I did. And I'm yeah. thankful for. And um, which startup was that? Oh, that was um, Whipster. So it was, yeah, it was years ago, but it was a um, video kind of startup. I'd done yeah. some lots of side hustles and, and little startup-y things before, but that was the true, like our primary audience was in the States. I spent a lot of time there, um, yeah. you know, looking to raise money, Silicon. It was kind of the real, the first Silicon Valley type one. That yeah. Mm. Cool. Um, what advice would you give to your former self? Um, I think the back myself and learning the art of negotiation. Yeah. Learn that. Oh, we should, we should really learn that somehow. I don't know if there's a great course or book or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but if, if we could learn, if I had learned the skill of negotiation, I'd probably be in a little bit better um, position for everything from backing myself for the next ro- that next role or yeah. for that, you know, for that funding round or for that salary. I think, um, the skill of negotiation. I know that when I sit in interviews now with women and I ask them how much, um, you know, their pay, uh, how much salary, their uh, salary expectations. First of all, they only apply to the job if they've done it. Um, secondly, um, secondly, what is their salary? They're like, well, I'm on this amount now, as opposed to like, I'm worth this. Um, Yeah. I think that really is that that's a little bit of that imposter syndrome, but I think I think really a skill of negotiation where you can turn off that emotional side of the brain and just go into skill mode. Um, yeah. that, that's pretty important. And do you have any tips on how to do that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Don't I, maybe just turn off the personal thing. Like it's not personal. Yeah. Um, the, it, it's business. Like just think of your skills on a piece of paper as businesses you're offering them to someone or to a VC to invest in them or whatever, like, like put them on a piece of paper and then just think about what they're worth. Like think about what you're building for other people be it investors or for companies that you're working for and, mm. and just very, take a very non-emotional approach to it. That, that, yeah. that would be a starting point, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, some great advice. Oh. No, but it was great chatting. It was really great chatting. Yeah, it was really, really great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Axelson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode of Girl Power Pod, I met up with Jess Quinn. She's an incredible badass woman who lost her leg to cancer at the age of nine years old. We talked about the long journey she has been on to find her self-acceptance her work as an influencer in the body positive space, as well as her modeling career, and when she got to be part of the TV show Dancing with the Stars last year. Make sure not to miss out.